not just a video game controller. Oh, Dinah back there is telling me it's a PlayStation 4 controller. All right. So what do you, what do you use that for? Playing games. All right, now, now I have another question. Like I noticed that there doesn't seem to be a cord there. When, when I was little, video game controllers had cords that you connected to the, you know, the video game system. Where's, where's the cord at? Nowhere. They got rid of the cord? So, so you just, you just, you just have the, the controller? All right, and then and you use it to play games. So, like when you're playing a game, what's 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 some of your favorite video games? Halo. What do you think, Sophie? The Legend of Zelda and Minecraft. Lego Batman, Lego Marvel. What about you guys, Hiles? NHL. Minecraft, Solomon. Fortnite. Dinah? Horizon Zero Dawn. All right. Uh, okay, so when you're playing these different games, like let's use, let's use NHL as, as our example. When you're playing NHL, you're trying to control the hockey players to, to score goals and win the game, right? So how do you make them do what you want them to do? You use the controller, right? And the controller sends that information to the gaming system, right? Through the cable. No, not through the cable. Through, through where? How, how does it get there? What do you think, Noah? The internet. Through the internet. Does anybody know? What do you think, Johnny? Can somebody say that louder? What do you think, Solomon? Did you say you don't know? Yeah, I don't know either. Somehow, people have developed this technology called Bluetooth technology that allows a video game controller or like a cell phone or something else to connect wirelessly, no cord, through the air to something else. And then it allows it to send messages back and forth just through the air. So if you're sitting in your living room and you're playing a video game on a TV, there are all these signals flying back and forth between the video game thing and your controller. And we can't see any of it. And if, you know, you don't know exactly how Bluetooth technology works, which I bet none of us do, you can't understand how it works either. But does it work? Yeah, it works. So why are we talking about video games and video control, game controllers this morning? We're, we're talking about them. That wasn't a real question. <laughs> we're talking about them because they are a great illustration for, for what we're talking about in our current series, which is union with Christ. 
Union with Christ is how people who trust in Jesus, believers, are connected to Jesus. He is, he is in us and we're in him, but kind of like that controller without a cord, we can't, we can't see that. And so we have to trust that it's real. We have to believe by faith in things that we can't see and in things we can't understand to know that union with Christ is real. And just like that video game controller, right? If you want to do anything in that game, it's got to happen through the controller, right? If you want the NHL player to go around the guy on the other team and score the goal, you've got to use the controller to do it. You can't just yell at the TV. That's not going to work. The controller is the way you connect to the game. In the same way, Jesus is the way that we connect to God. He's the only way we connect to God. If we try to do it some other way or through some other avenue, it's going to be just like trying to play that video game without the controller. It's not going to work. And so what we're talking about in union with Christ is that everything we get from God, all the blessings of the gospel, every aspect of our salvation, they come to us through Jesus. So kids, Go home today, ask your parents more about what it means to be united with Jesus. Ask them to tell you more about how he's like that video game controller that you use to play the games that you love. And ask them to tell you more about how both you and they can stay more connected to him on a daily basis. Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll get into our passage this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And that in it, you make yourself known to us. And you make your salvation known to us. And that you explain as much as is possible in our language these amazing and and glorious realities of salvation that we get to live in like union with Christ. Jesus, I pray today that as we look at at your word, as we look at uh, a passage in the gospels together and we see uh, what you're saying to your disciples and what you're saying to us, um, that you would meet us in your word this morning, that, that union with Christ Uh, wouldn't be just something that we talk about together this morning, but it would be something that we experience together this morning because it is a reality that we're in right now if we trust in you. So I pray that we we would know and believe that you are in us and we are in you, even as we're talking about what that means together this morning. I pray that you would send your spirit to to help us understand your word more, that you would reveal truth to us and convict sin in us. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf, that it's because of who you are and what you've done, because of your life and death and resurrection, that we can be united with you, that we can experience salvation, that we can participate in all the blessings of the gospel. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 15 this morning. Just like last week, we're going to be talking about uh, union with Christ. Last week, we started this series, and we talked about how this, this doctrine, this topic, union with Christ, is, is vitally important. It's, it's all over the New Testament. Um, and what it is, is it's this, this thing, this phrase, union with Christ. It's, it's something that, that theologians use to describe our relationship with Christ. So if you want to think about it, union with Christ kind of equals our relationship with Jesus and everything that entails. You don't have to use the phrase union with Christ because that's probably not how we talk about things on a regular basis. But it's a relationship. And we talked about that the, the truth that it's through union with Christ that, that, that we have every aspect of our connection to God. Uh, every blessing of the gospel, um, every aspect of our salvation, all of it, it comes to us through union with Christ. We don't get any of it outside of Jesus. Um, and where we kind of landed at the end last week on focusing on the fact that even though union with Christ is a, is a, a doctrine and a theological topic and it's kind of metaphorical and weird and uh, it's hard to understand, even though it's something like that, more than anything, it's a relationship that we live in. And so we need to know what it is. We need to know why we believe it. We need to know where it is in Scripture. But we also need to know that it's a relationship that we live in. And so today, the, the passage that we're reading focuses more on that. And so we're going to look at what it means to abide in Jesus, which is really closely connected to union with Christ. So we're going to read John 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus here says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things... I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Sorry, it's warm up here. Um, this passage, John gives us a metaphor for union with Christ. Uh, really, 
Jesus gives us a metaphor for union with Christ. He talks about himself as if he is a vine, and the Father as if he is a vine dresser, and that we need to be branches connected to the vine. This isn't literal. Jesus isn't an actual vine. This is a metaphor explaining to us what it means to abide in Christ, what it means to be united with him and live in relationship with him. So it all starts off with one of John's. He has these famous I am statements throughout his gospel where Jesus says, I am this, I am that. Sometimes he just says, I am, which means he's God. Here he says he is the vine, the true vine. And it's important that he describes himself as the true vine because, because vines and vineyards in the Old Testament were often images that represented God's people. And so as we were reading through the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 5, God describes this vineyard, which is his people. He took choice vines and he planted them in a place and he cared for them and he made sure no weeds grew and he, he took care of and protected his vineyard. But his vineyard, instead of yielding the kind of grapes that he desired, it yielded wild and sour grapes. And so God broke down the walls and broke down the hedges and allowed the weeds to come in and destroy his vineyard. And that's what we've seen kind of played out across the book of Isaiah. God has allowed his people to experience judgment. And when Jesus says that he's the true vine, what he's doing is he's contrasting himself with all those vines of God's people described in the Old Testament. He isn't like them. He is the true vine that always bears the kind of fruit that his father desires. His father is the vine dresser. And Jesus tells us that he does two things. The first thing he does is he prunes uh, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Or sorry, he takes them away. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's, That's the first thing. The second thing, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it may bear more fruit. So there's there's two options here for the branches. Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser. Branches, there's two options. One is you bear fruit. Two is you don't bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, he says, the Father takes them away. What does that mean? What does it mean that he takes those branches away? Well, it's, it's not good. Look down at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. We'll, we'll get to the abiding part in a couple verses. But I think here it's pretty safe to assume that the no fruit group and the no abiding group are the same group. Right? They're, they're taken away, and when they're taken away from the vine, they wither because living branches are connected to a vine. If you're not connected to the vine, you're a dead branch, and you wither. And then he says the only thing that withered branches are useful is to be gathered together and burned. Elsewhere in the Gospels, whenever we see this kind of language of gathering and burning, it's talking about judgment. It's talking about hell. It's talking about what those people who don't trust in Jesus will experience at the end, at the final judgment. 
And so these branches that don't bear fruit, and in verse 6, these people that don't abide in Christ, they are going to be gathered together and they will experience judgment. So this first group, the no fruit group, is not a group we want to be in. The second group is the group we want to be in. Every branch that does bear fruit, uh, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Before we, before we get there, back up one second. Rewind. Uh, he says, every branch in me that uh, does not bear fruit, he takes away. And that's, that's important, that, that in me. Because since we're talking about union with Christ, where the New Testament says, in Christ and in him, and here where Jesus says, in me, we might make the mistake of thinking that these people that don't bear fruit are somehow in Jesus in the same way that those who do bear fruit are in Jesus. But I don't think that's what he's saying. Uh, Because, first of all, in verse 6, he says specifically that they don't abide in him. So I think that what he's describing here is people that are loosely connected to the vine. But they're not really part of it. And so... uh, You know, you may know uh, that I am someone who isn't really passionate about about lawn maintenance or or lawn care or any lawn-related things. And what happens is we have this this chain-link fence that is around our backyard, and maybe, maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, I do the work of, of trimming the stuff that grows in it. And I do that because my kids, where we walk on the sidewalk to school, get frustrated having to walk around the stuff that's growing there. So it finally gets to a point that pushes them over the edge, that pushes me over the edge, and I trim it. And when I was doing that, just, I don't know, maybe a month ago, I noticed that in our back fence, there were vines growing in it. And there were two different vines that were growing, kind of all interlaced, in the same piece of fence. And at first, I thought they were the same vine, because they were so close together. And I had one all the way out, and you know, chopped it off at the bottom, and knew that it wouldn't grow back. But then I realized there was a second one there. And if I didn't kill that one, it would have kept growing. This first group, this no-fruit group, they're really close to the vine, and it seems like they're part of it, but they're really not. They're a different vine. They're not connected to the true vine. This would be somebody, like we see in Scripture, like Judas. Right? Everybody thought he was in. And then you find out at the end that he's not. He absolutely was not connected to the vine. He wanted the vine to die. So, This first group is not describing people who are in Christ like those who trust in Christ are in Christ. They're somebody else. Instead, it's the second group that represents those who are in Christ. Every uh, branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, first of all, this this is good, right? Bearing fruit is a good thing. You want to be in this category. You want to be one of the branches that's bearing fruit. But notice that even bearing fruit doesn't mean that the vine dresser leaves you alone. You're not, you're not done once you've borne some fruit. He prunes you so that you bear more fruit. So none of us, no matter where we're at, experience any kind of absence from this vine dresser. He's either taking us away because we're not bearing any fruit at all, 
or he's pruning us so that we bear more fruit. So he is involved in the lives uh, and the deaths of the branches. Verse 3, he explains, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So here, Jesus kind of breaks the metaphor to communicate truth straight to the disciples. He's telling them that they're already clean because of the message that he's spoken to them, because of the truth of the good news that Jesus has shared with uh, his disciples. They have been purified. They're in a place where they can be in this second group because of what Jesus has shared with them, because they've trusted in that message. And then we get to verse 4, where we get the command. But notice that in verses 1, 2, and 3 of this passage, There's nothing for us to do, right? It doesn't doesn't tell us to bear fruit. He's describing something that's happened to these people. Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. He's the one that's taking the action. Verse 3, Jesus has spoken his word to his disciples. We are passive in verses 1 through 3. It's not until we get to verse 4 that there's something for us to do. He says, abide in me and I in you. What's really cool about these is that they're commands. It's maybe not so cool on the first one because that's something that we have to do. But the the second one is kind of like a self-command from Jesus to himself. You abide in me and Me, abide in you. It's something that he is going to do. It's it's imperative that he does it. It's also imperative that we do it. And that's what we're responsible for. So the first thing that we need to see about this talk of abiding is that it is not optional for us. It's a command given to us by God. And if we want to obey God, we must do it. The only other option for us is disobeying God. The only other option for us is sinning. So the very first thing we should see about this is that it's not not optional. It's a command. The second thing we should see about it is that it's a necessity. So even if you're not thrilled about somebody telling you what to do, know that it's not optional because you don't have any other choice. Look at what he says in the rest of verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So if you want to be in that second group that bears fruit and gets pruned and produces more fruit, then your only choice is to abide in the vine. Because if you don't abide in the vine, you're a dead branch, and dead branches don't produce fruit. So there's... Still two options. You abide in him, you don't abide in him. If you abide in him, you're a branch that produces fruit, that gets pruned, that produces more fruit. Or if you don't abide in him, you're a branch that bears no fruit because you can't bear any fruit and you're taken away and gathered together and burned. Those are the options. So it's a command. It's not optional. And if we want to be in the fruit-bearing group, it's a necessity. The only way we bear fruit is through our connection to the vine, is by abiding in Jesus. 
Verse 6, which we've already looked at, that gives us the bad news of not abiding, judgment, burning, no thanks. Verse 7 gives us some good news. This is a positive result of abiding. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, this is good news. At first, it seems like really, really good news. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Sign me up for that. But, but there's a catch. There's really a couple catches. The first one is, if you abide in me. So a prerequisite of getting whatever you wish is abiding in Jesus. So if you're not abiding in Jesus, this doesn't apply. There's a second catch. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What he's describing here is someone who, first of all, abides in Jesus. And second of all, Jesus' word abides in them so much so that they are shaped pervasively by Jesus' words. What that means is that these people are going to ask for things that are in line with and consistent with his word. And so this isn't, you know, give me a, a pink and purple polka dotted pony and boom, you've got it. That's what I wish for. That's what I get. What this is, is God, through our abiding in Jesus, through his word abiding in us, transforming and shaping our desires so that what we ask for, whatever we wish for, is what he wishes for for us. So abiding in Christ, it causes us to produce fruit so that we can be pruned, so that we can produce more fruit, and it makes our prayers more effective. Because we're asking for things not just that we want, but that God wants for us. Verse 8. It's another positive result of us abiding in Jesus. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By abiding in Jesus, we glorify God. It's through our abiding in him that we bear fruit, and us bearing fruit shows people that we are truly his followers, and that brings glory to God. He says, by this, my Father is glorified. What is this? That you bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 9, he gives us more positive results of us abiding in Christ. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This verse is is incredible. It's, It's downright ridiculous. Look at what he's saying. As the Father has loved me, So have I loved you. How does the Father love the Son? Completely. Perfectly, without any flaws whatsoever. He loves him in ways that that blow way past our understanding of what love is and what it looks like. 
This, this statement, as the Father has loved me, we can't understand. If we spent our whole lives trying to think about all the ways in which God perfectly loves the Son, we would die not getting anywhere close to the end of it. He loves him in ways that our language can't explain. And Jesus says, he loves us like that. That's nuts. We know us. Right? We know who we are. We know that we are nowhere, anywhere close to that kind of worthy of love like that. We don't even love ourselves like that. We don't even love the people we love like that. And yet he says he loves us like that. And then comes the command, which is really more like an invitation. Abide in my love. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Verse 10, he's going to tell us about what it means to abide in his love or or how we do that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So he says, I kept my Father's commandments, I abide in his love. You, if you want to, keep my commandments, and you're going to abide in my love. So if we want to remain in that kind of love, we need to be people that are keeping his commandments. Again, this isn't optional. But he tells us that keeping his commandments, that abiding in his love, it's going to lead to our joy. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. So it's not even our joy that we're depending on, it's his joy. And that your joy, which is his joy, may be full. So here, our keeping commands means that we abide in his love and those things lead to his joy being in us and our joy being full. Now, I recognize that we kind of prefer this the other way around. right? Jesus obviously hasn't read enough John Piper because joy do, or delight leads to duty. Duty doesn't lead to delight unless you're in John 15. It's the other way around in other places. But here, I think it's important for us to see that obedience leads to us abiding in his love, and that leads to joy. And it's okay to be in that place. Right? I think sometimes we use the, you know, I should be delighted to do what God tells me to as an excuse not to do what God tells us to. If you're delighted, great. Do it. If you're not delighted, do it anyway so that you can be delighted after you've done it. So abiding in Jesus, it causes us to bear fruit so that we get pruned, so that we bear more fruit. It causes our prayers to be more effective. It causes God to be glorified. It causes us to be in a place where we're loved, which is bigger than our understanding of what loved is. And us being in his love helps us keep his commandments. And that leads to us receiving a joy that's bigger than any joy we could have ourselves. So the question is, what does it mean to abide in Christ? And how do I do it? 
obviously that's something I must do. So the first question, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? And some of you are probably thinking you should have answered this question 15 minutes ago. Well, too bad, I'm answering that now. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Abide is a word that's used in the Bible to most often talk about people living in a location, like, like a house or a city. So our, our home is our abode. It's, it's where we abide because that's the place where we rest. That's the place where we spend most of our time. That's, that's what it means to abide. It means to be in a place that you're comfortable and that's yours. So work, even if you spend more time there than home, isn't where you abide. That's where you work. Even if you spend a lot of time somewhere else, at somebody else's house, that's not where you abide. You abide in your home. John takes that and uses it in a different way. He talks about abiding in a person. He's, he's telling his disciples, he's telling us to live in Jesus in a way that's similar to how we live in our home, which is strange. And so it's more like continuing in or, or, or remaining in or, or just living in, but not in like a physical sense. That's what he's saying when he commands us, when Jesus in John commands us to abide in Jesus. We remain in him. We stay in him. We don't do anything other than being in him. The point is that it's not like a one-time or a part-time thing, right? And so if you're here this morning and you're a college student, right, where you abide is different than most people because sometimes you abide in a dorm and sometimes you abide at your parents' house or sometimes you abide somewhere else during the summer. You're not someone who lives in the same place all the time. That's not what it's like to abide in Jesus. It's an all-the-time continual thing. It's not part-time. It's not sometime. It's all the time. It's continuing to live in him and not doing anything else. I think that in the context of union with Christ, abiding in Christ is, is intentionally... Uh, and actively us living in union with Jesus. So how do we do it? I want to go to a few other verses in the Bible that answer that question for us. The first one is John six fifty six. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. This is a different one. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. So you want to be in Jesus, you want to abide in him, eat his flesh, and drink his blood. So first question, are there any stories in the Bible about people actually doing this? No, right? So I think it's pretty clear that Jesus did not mean this literally. If the disciples who are right there with him, who knew him best, didn't immediately start trying to take a bite out of him, they didn't think he meant it that way either. Instead, 
He's talking about us receiving the benefits of his life and his blood, his death on our behalf. He's talking about trusting in him, who he is and what he's done and making that part of us. So, John 6.56, how do we abide in him? We abide in him by trusting in him through faith. 1 John 2.6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. The first he here is Jesus. Or sorry, the, the him here is Jesus, and the last he is Jesus. So if you want to abide in Jesus, John says, walk like Jesus walked. Which, he's not talking about Jesus' gait and us imitating that. He's saying, live in the way Jesus lived. Do the things that Jesus did. If you want to abide in him, live like him. The next one is John, or 1 John 2.24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So if we want to abide in the Son and in the Father, we need to let what we have heard from the beginning abide in us. What John is talking about here is the gospel message. So this is really similar to what Jesus said in John 6.56. If we want to abide in him, we do it by faith. We do it by believing and trusting in and doing the things that Jesus said to do. 1 John 3, 6, he says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. This one is is harder. This one hurts more. If you want to abide in him, stop sinning. Don't, don't do it anymore. Abiding in Jesus means saying no to sin. It means not continuing in it because continuing in sin is abiding in sin. And if you're abiding in sin, you're not abiding in Jesus. Now, obviously, there's a qualification, right? We all know none of us are going to be perfect in this broken world. But also know that in our sin and in our flesh, we rush to that qualification so that we can feel better about keeping on sinning. If we want to abide in him, we need to say no to sin. 1 John 3, 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So abiding here, we learn, also means that we receive his spirit. But he says that if we want to abide in him, we need to keep his commandments. Abiding in Jesus means trusting in him by faith. It means saying no to sin. And it means keeping his commandments. The last one is 1 John 4.15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Here again, the point is, if you want to abide in him, believe in him. Have faith in him. Trust in him. It's through faith in him that we abide in him. So I think that we can take these passages which tell us more about what it means to abide in Jesus, that tell us more about how we abide in Jesus and and boil them down to three things. 
The first one is we abide in him by faith in him. The second one is we abide in him by fighting sin. And the third one is we abide in him by keeping his commands, by doing what he says, by pursuing holiness. So by faith, by fighting sin, by pursuing holiness. That's what it looks like to abide in Jesus. That's how we do it, by doing those things. There's probably more to it than just those But if we do those three things, we will be well on our way to continuing to abide in him. And so what we're going to do for the next several weeks is we're going to focus on each of those three things. We're going to talk about abiding in Jesus by faith. We're going to talk about abiding in Jesus by fighting sin. We're going to talk about abiding in Jesus by pursuing holiness. And we're going to talk about how union with Christ is wrapped up in all of those things. The only reason why we can fight sin is because of union with Christ. The only reason why we can pursue holiness is because of union with Christ. The only way we can have faith in Christ is through union with Christ. So we're going to talk about those things in the the coming weeks. But for today, even as we begin to think more about how we can do these three things in our lives to abide in Jesus, remember that more then union with Christ being information that we need to know. It's a relationship that we need to live in. You don't don't abide in information. You abide in a relationship. You abide in a person. And so this week, again, I would encourage you to be more intentional about living in relationship with Jesus. And real quick, think. Think about how this last week went for you. Because I said that same thing last week. Right? Let's all be more intentional about living in union with Jesus. How how did that go? I, I think that there's probably three groups. There's people that heard that and it went away and you left and you didn't think about it anymore. That's okay. That happens when I listen to sermons too. There's probably a group of people that started out strong. I'm going to do it. Sunday afternoon, you did great. Monday, you did great. Maybe you made it to Tuesday. And then kids, life, school, sports, something came up and is gone. Or group three, you just killed it all week. Good for you. (laughs) Keep doing it. The reason why I want us to recognize where we're at, and and just to be real, I I was in group two. So even the people that say these things don't do it great. So if you're in group three, you're better than me. Congratulations. The reason why I bring that up is because I think that when those things happen and we realize that that's, that's what happened, we begin to think, just like we make excuses with nobody's perfect, I can just keep on sinning, 
we also begin to make out things to be harder than they really are. Like I, I could have done better if this was just easier. But the truth is, is that union with Christ and living in union with Christ and abiding in Jesus, it's not nearly as hard as we make it out to be. Because it is a relationship. And guess what? We are pretty good at relationships. We have a lot of them. Even if you're somebody that is socially awkward and is bad at relationships, you are way better at them than you think you are. Right? We know how to grow relationships. We talk to people and spend time with people and get to know them and learn about them and are with them. And that's not hard for us to do. Even if you're an introvert and you don't like spending time with people, the actual act of being in a relationship isn't that difficult. So take all those excuses you've got and just throw them away. And recognize that if you're not someone who's going to be intentional about abiding in Jesus, it's because you don't want to. It's because whatever that other thing is that came along Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or whenever that took that away from you is more important to you than being in relationship with Jesus is. That's why abiding in Christ means fighting sin. That's why abiding in Christ means pursuing holiness. Because when God prunes us, that's what he's doing. He's taking away those things that cause us not to bear fruit in the ways that we could and should bear fruit. So this week, we go again. Right? We live more intentionally trying to live in union with Christ. We live trying to abide in Christ, even though we want to know what it looks like more specifically. We just be in relationship with him. And right now, in the Lord's Supper, we have an opportunity to do just that. It's something that we do all the time. So it's a perfect opportunity for us to be more intentional with it than we usually are. Recognize that in the Lord's Supper, where we're, where we're celebrating his death on our behalf, we are putting our faith in who he is and what he's done. We're saying, this really happened, and it really matters for me. We're taking time before we take the Lord's Supper to ask the Spirit to convict us of sin so that we can fight it. We're asking the Spirit to show us ways in which we fall short of obeying God in the ways that he wants us to. So we're pursuing holiness. We are doing the things to abide in Christ every time we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a way We abide in Jesus. It's also one of the things that we do with Jesus. It's it's not just an empty thing. I know as Baptists, you know, we we freak out about the Lord's Supper being anything more than just, you know, that's that's just a cracker and that's just juice and it's, it's nothing else. There's nothing spiritual or mystical happening. It's just a symbol. And it is a symbol. But that juice and those crackers are different 
than other juice and other crackers. Because we eat them with an intentionality focusing on what Christ has done for us and its benefits to us. In the same way that, you know, we might sing a worship song sometime, you know, really engaged in worship, and other times maybe less so. The Spirit meets us in those things and gives grace to us in those moments that are different than other moments. And so as you take the Lord's Supper today, recognize that you're participating in something, not just with everybody here, but you're participating in something with Jesus. So I'm going to pray and then take some time to prepare your hearts to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Whenever you're ready, come forward uh, on your own. Take the cup, take the juice. Think about what it is and then return to your seat so that this can be a time of worship for everybody and we can continue on with the service. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that the commands you gave your disciples and us in John 15, that they are commands to us to do something that that maybe we don't want to do, but that is what's best for us. And then I also thank you that in them, you are drawing us deeper into relationship with you. That that by abiding in you, we can bear fruit and, and glorify your Father and that we can experience in you a a love greater than any we've ever known or could know. I pray that you you would send your spirit to meet with us. And that as we prepare our hearts together this morning, that it wouldn't just be routine but that you would graciously empower us to be more intentional about what it is that we're celebrating. You would convict sin and and draw us more into pursuing holiness. And that we would know, not, not just intellectually, spiritually and emotionally, that we would know that we're not celebrating the Lord's Supper on our own, but that Christ is in us and that we are in him. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you that we can be united with you and experience all of salvation, and and every spiritual blessing. It's in your name we pray. Amen.